everybody. We're talking about Algorand and Cardano prices today. Just kidding. Uh, welcome to Disrupt TV. Uh, and we're happy to have you on a Friday. We're going to introduce our guests real quick. They're going to share with you where they're calling them from and a little bit of what they're talking about today. We'll start with Heather, go to David, and then to Ken. So Heather, what's up? How you doing? Hey, I'm doing great here in beautiful New Jersey. Sun is shining, beautiful September day, and we're going to talk about the climate. Ah, hopefully we're drying out. Uh, that's an important part. David, how you doing? Hey, I'm great. White Bear Lake, Minnesota, not far from Minneapolis, St. Paul, and the sun is shining here as well. And uh, we're going to talk about what I believe uh, is the key to any relational or organizational success, at least from my perspective. We research for the last two decades on one thing. We talk about it. I write on it. And it is trust. Ooh. All right. The trust factor. And Ken, what are we talking about today? Where are you calling in from? So. Hey, I'm calling in from just outside of Portland, Maine, uh, where it's currently thundering. So we're not drying out up here for sure. But uh, you know, I wanted to talk about you know the role of the modern CIO technology and the employee experience, the customer experience. How much has changed in the last 18, 19 months? I've sort of lost count uh, through this very unusual time and, and kind of what our role is and, and making people successful. All right. Well, we're going to kick it off. Uh, for those who are interested in sponsoring Disrupt TV, you can please let us know. And other than that, let's go. Elle, please do the honors. All right. Three, two, one. Hello and welcome. Thank you for joining Disrupt TV. My name is Vala Afshar, Chief Digital Evangelist at Salesforce and your co-host for the next hour. We welcome you to follow us on Twitter at Disrupt TV Show. Send Ray, myself, our distinguished guest, your questions live using hashtag Disrupt TV, and we'll do our best to answer them during the show. It's my pleasure to introduce my co-host, Ray Wong. He's the CEO founder of Constellation Research. He is the best-selling author of Everybody Wants to Rule the World, Surviving and Thriving in a World of Digital Giants. Uh, he's also a regular television business and technology news contributor on Fox Business, Young Finance, CNBC, and Wall Street Journal. He's, in my opinion, one of the top futurists to follow on Twitter at RWANG0. Welcome, Ray Wong, to Disrupt TV. Hey, thanks a lot, Bala. I'm here with Bala Afshar. And as you know, he is the chief digital evangelist for Salesforce. He's also the author of The Pursuit of Social Business Excellence. You know, executives around the world pay attention to every one of his inspirational, insightful tweets. And when he's not hosting, when he's not speaking at conferences or leading events at Salesforce, you can find him speaking on business TV outlets such as Bloomberg and posting insightful analyses, especially about the show um, on ZDNet. So with that, who do we have today as our awesome guest? Speaking of awesome guests, we have an awesome CIO, Ken Gray, the Senior Vice President and Chief Information Officer at IDEX. Ken joined IDEX in 2014, having worked as a CIO and leader in several human health and biotech research companies, such as New England Biolabs, Novartis, Charon, and GE Healthcare, working to support drug discovery, uh, molecular diagnostics, and world-class molecular biology and uh, genomic-driven medicine. In his role as Senior Vice President and Chief Information Officer, Ken has a portfolio of responsibilities at IDEX, including the enterprise technology strategy, operations, and security, reference lab technologies, operations, and innovation. Over the last 30 years, I can't start really early, Ken has held a variety of roles <laughs> that inform his current interest in innovation, customer employee experience, which we're going to talk about, and people development, having lived and worked on both coasts of the U.S., in Europe and in Asia. You can follow Ken on Twitter at GradyKen, G-R-A-D-Y-K-E-N. Welcome, Ken, to Disrupt TV. 
Thanks so much to both of you. It's really, really a pleasure to be here. Uh, I, I think I'm trying to remember the last time I saw you guys in person was in Boston, I think, at your book launch, uh, Ray, or your book tour. Uh, which I've got a yes. copy of. I should have grabbed this in the other room, but uh, absolutely fantastic uh, to be here. There you go. Um, no, it's great to be with you guys. Thank you. You know, this is awesome. And, and I think one of the things that we've been talking about is like where IT is and the state of IT. And for you, I think you said something before, like this is not the IT I grew up with um, or grew up in, but it feels like the IT was promise. And, wow. you know, I, I really want to talk more about that because, I mean, we've, we've totally seen a massive change in 18 months. So let's start there. Yeah, I talk about that, you know, with my team and with, and it is, I hated hearing you, you know, read my bio and remind me that I've been doing this for you know, several <laughs> decades. Um, but yeah, I mean, I got into IT, you know, when I was early in my career, racking and stacking servers, actually started on the help desk. Like, I think I've done every job in IT except network engineer. Like that's the only thing, like I, I make those guys speak to me in small words and primary <laughs> colors, so I understand. But the promise of technology was always rapid, accelerated innovation. Innovation in products, in services, in the customer experience, in how you work. And we always saw in the enterprise, you know, that challenge was, or, or well, you guys are, have been around long enough to remember, like consumer technology was moving faster than corporate technology. And why couldn't we go faster? And the, what's happens with the advent of course, public cloud and the rapid acceleration of, you know, these services and compute uh, uh, densification um, has just been this unlocking of the promise of insight. And we are, you know, it has never been a more exciting time to be in this role, in this, this seat in IT in technology than it is today. And what I'm confident of, is when I say that again tomorrow, it will be even more true. Because that's the accelerated pace that we're seeing. And it's just, it's fun. It's, this is, we have more fun now than we used to in this role because we sit in the center of every function. Every company is a technology company. I don't care what industry you're in. Every company is a technology company. And we have the opportunity to impact that experience and those products in ways like we've never done before. That's Let's amazing. take a step back, though. You, you've lost your air conditioning in your data center, man. Is that a step back or a step forward? <laughs> <laughs> well, I've moved most of my things out of my data center because, you know, I don't have to have it there exactly. anymore. Exactly. Right? So, no, no. <laughs> yeah. So it, it's it's uh, I'll let other people worry about that now. Um, no, it's, no, but, it's but what was the but what was the IT you dreamed about? Like, where are the fun things that like you just never thought would have happened before? So. Yeah, you know, so it was interesting because um, working in life sciences, working in, I have a lot of passion around the industry and, you know, I've really centered most of my career in uh, human healthcare, life sciences, research, you know, and now what you see is computational biology. We're solving problems. I mean, if you think about the, the situation we're in right now with COVID, with pandemic and with research and um, how fast the industry and the, the, the healthcare professionals have been able to respond, so much of that is data driven. Yeah. So much of that is driven by the ability to access large quantities of data and distill insight and then turn it into, you know, supply chain forecasts and production forecasts and, and accelerate. And that is, to me, so amazing that now technology is no longer a back office function. We're very much impacting healthcare. We're impacting 
you know, your experience with Amazon, uh, of course, in terms of the logistics and shipping and getting things there, we're impacting, you know, all of us kind of figured out uh, how to shop remotely, right, for groceries, you know, so those are the kind of things where when I just think about the impact that we're able to have on uh, experiences, I think it's never been more evident than what we've seen in the last 18 months where everything changed in terms of go to market and, and, and how you, Oh my God, education has all changed in the last 18 months and all become digital and digitally supported and everybody pivoted. And, you know, we talk a lot about change management. I, I do think, you know, wouldn't it be nice if we didn't have to have a global pandemic to accelerate the rapid adoption of some of these technologies. But I do think so much of it's gonna be sticky as we go forward um, that now that people, now that we all have a better understanding of what's possible, that we'll start to apply those same technologies in, in new and exciting and additionally exciting ways, frankly. Yeah. Absolutely. Now, speaking of a CIO not having to worry about the proper temperature in a, in a data center room, uh, <laughs> you, you recently tweeted, there's nothing more wasteful in the world than optimizing what never should have been done in the first place. Uh, <laughs> right. And it, it was Peter Drucker who said that. I think this is brilliant advice to CIOs and all business leaders and perhaps the pandemic was a forcing function for us to really uh, understand the power of focus um, and also the appreciation of a decentralized, for many months, digital only and now digital first ecosystem. Can you talk about how do you as a CIO prioritize your workload? Because you, you said it very correctly, every company is a technology company, which yeah. means there's a massive amount of pressure and of course, you know, pressure to me is a privilege when I think about elite athletes on the CIO. So you have to be constantly prioritizing, constantly delivering business outcomes based on use of technology. How do you do that? Yeah, I spend so much of my time talking about prioritization, yeah. right? We, we actually, within our team, we have a saying, we say 10 things half done is nothing done. Right. So really focus on the thing. That's things another tweet. Doing. That's another tweet. Yeah. <laughs> I, I wish I could take credit for it, but you know, I heard it and I stole it with pride. But it's you know, it's so important to focus and, and the way we do it is we really talk about back to that word I used before, impact. What is the impact of this gonna uh, be? What is the outcome going to be in you know, it depends on, of course, which function we're talking, but is it in a customer experience, in a revenue generation, in a efficiency gain? What is the impact of what we're doing? Um, and then, of course, we always have to keep our eye on because the, the CIO role and the, the, the technology leadership role is this blended role of future thinking and operational management. Yeah. Um, because you're always having to make sure, right, that, you know, uh, the Internet works, that phones <laughs> ring, that emails deliver, you know, the, that operational impact. And if you ignore that operations for the sake of innovation, it will catch up to you. Technical Absolutely. debt is like any other debt. It has to be paid. And every, every Amazon's got technical debt. Google's Salesforce has technical debt. Sure. If you'd like afterwards, I can give you a list. Uh, we're a Salesforce customer. Very happy Salesforce customer. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it, so it is that blends. And so that means prioritization of where you spend your energy is so important, you know, both for the team and for yourself. Uh, for me, in my role, a lot of my energy is spent on, you know, you mentioned earlier, people leadership, people development, um, really building and, and ensuring people have the tools they need, the skills they need, and the support they need to be as successful as they can. And again, that gets back to impact. It's really down to that single basic concept uh, of, you know, finding prioritizations. 
And I think in most companies as well, because IT is in the, it's a corporate function, it's sort of in the center of a lot of functions, uh, the integrator between a lot of functions or the enabler of a lot of functions. We also end up with this unique perspective mm -hmm. on the interdependencies and, and the uh, potential negative impact something could have happen if you do it or if you don't do it. And so I think we have a responsibility within our roles to be that voice, to help people understand. You know, building on that, that's uh, one of the interesting things, right? I mean, I, I think Val and I were talking about this like off show once where we're like, holy crap, what happened? Like, we're the grownups. And then we're like, oh crap, we are the grownups. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's like, it's a little scary. Uh, so uh, we, we're, we're talking about this. And, and one of the interesting things is like, you know, the, the advice that we're given, the mentorship that we're, we're supposed to be doing, right? As the next generation of CIOs are coming. I mean, what's some of the best advice you've gotten as a CIO? And then what's some of the interesting advice you've gotten back and any, any kind of reverse mentoring that, that you might have shared as well? Oh, yeah. I, you know, the best advice I ever got. Uh, as a CIO, and it, it absolutely changed the way that I thought about the role. Mm -hmm. it was actually from a CFO, uh, great CFO in Novartis. Yeah, and he said, "Ken, my job as CFO is to make the company investable." Interesting perspective, right? It is helps investors understand, you know, what the return is going to be, and that we're prioritizing and that we're responsible, et cetera. He said, "Your job as CIO is to make IT investable." Oh, and that oh, really wow. shaped how I thought. And when I, you know, when I, I talked about prioritization based on impact, you know, I have to, I have to communicate impact in in terms that my CEO, my CFO, my colleagues think about. Not in terms I think about. Not in terms my team thinks about. We, it's important for us to understand the technology, obviously, and, sure. and kind of what the implications are. But we have to communicate what the impacts of these things are going to be in a way that makes it investable. And I know if we are considered investable because our budgets grow, yeah. uh, we take on new projects, people look to us to help support, you know, a go to market motion or a new product launch, et cetera. And so we have really clear indicators of, are we doing the things that we need to do to be investable? And back to those other things, like, you know, that operation side of the house, like if you've got constant outages, constant disruptions, constant slowdowns, you're not going to you're not going to get the investments that you want for the cool, sexy projects. Right. Sure. So it all ties together, all ties together. I love the clarity of that advice. And, yeah. you know, it just reminds me that the language of business is finance and yeah. there really are no IT projects. They're business projects. Absolutely. Um, and uh, I have to ask because I see the instruments behind you. Oh, yeah. Uh, my question, <laughs> and it, it, the question only just stemmed from seeing the instruments behind you, knowing that you're it looks like an accomplished musician. Um, as a CIO, do you find yourself in a role of an orchestrator, a leading group of musicians yeah. with different domain expertise to, to create beautiful harmony and music, or more and more a role of a choreographer? Mm. In the absence of authority, in a more peer-to-peer, -peer, horizontal, I, I imagine dancers uh, on stage, in the absence of authority, they move in unison and they create beautiful, you know, magical experiences. Yeah. Are you more of an orchestrator or a choreographer or both? That's interesting. Uh, so, number one, I, I play my instruments with more enthusiasm than skill. 
Uh, I do have this theory, though. That I have this theory that the more I accumulate, the better I'll be. Oh, wow. Uh, it doesn't, oh, wow. It, it hadn't worked out that way. Well, so you got to be good. You go humble. Um, We're going to well, go jamming at your house. <laughs> you see that I have a banjo, you know, several banjos, actually. So there's lots of banjo player jokes. But anyway, um, but we actually had this, again, we have sort of, I loved your metaphors. You know, are you the orchestrator or the choreographer? Actually, the, the metaphor we use actually comes from another guy on my team who is a, um, he is an accomplished musician. He's like, what, he's a super interesting guy, a rock and roll drummer, international ballroom dance champion, you know, and a fantastic architect and, and development engineer. Uh, but we talk about, we actually operate more like a jazz band. And if you think about jazz, I don't know if you're a big jazz musician or a fan, but in the jazz band, there is a leader that's setting kind of the direction, but you have to listen to each other really hard yes. because at any given time, any one of you could be in the lead. Yeah. Any function could be in the lead at that moment. And the rest of the functions are supporting and listening really hard to know when it's their turn to lead. And I really promote that idea because the reality is, yeah, we have a strategic direction from a company perspective, from a technology strategy perspective, you know, that we're all pulling towards. But at any given moment, I mean, I, I'm, I've always been blessed in my career to work with super smart people. Most of them know more about their field than I do. You know, I'm not just talking about in IT. You know, uh, and I, I, there's always something to learn and always something to listen to and always something to contribute, but only if you understand what they're trying to accomplish at that moment, right? And that's that jazz band metaphor that I like so much. And it works for me because I do like music. That is a beautiful analogy. If you're interested in co-authoring a ZDNR article about IT and jazz, I'm game. I think that was a fantastic example of how IT should 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 be uh, should, should, the mindset of a successful IT organization. I think that was great. Yeah, yeah, I really liked it as well. Right. <laughs> I was just thinking bad banjo jokes like a chance <laughs> and better dynamic range. Steve, I just uh, watched a clip from Steve Martin uh, playing banjo, and I love it. I yeah, love it. I've heard most. Steve Martin is an amazing musician. He I, is. A lot of people don't know that, but he is. They really yeah. don't. He is. Brilliant. Yeah, he, he he is one of the best. He is one of the best. And he no, said, no, um, I, I think it's true that you can never play a, a sad note on a banjo. Um, so that's, no. that's a Steve Martin. Uh, yeah. That is so true. Always he happens. also said, be so good they can't ignore you. There you go. And I think that when, when IT is choreographing, orchestrating, and actually operating like a jazz band, they can't be ignored. Well, so when, you get him on this, when you get him on Disrupt TV, invite me back. And, you know. Yeah, <laughs> we'll do. We'll, 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 do. we'll have you as a co-host. We'll have you as a co-host. That'd be awesome. Uh, <laughs> so, so, okay, so we're, we're, we're walking into 2022. Everyone's got their, you know, plans for the next year all being set up. Uh, what's hot for you? 2022, what are the hot trends that you're starting to look at, especially to get into the planning cycle? What do you have to double down on? Uh, yeah. what's, what's kind of an important thing that you wish you had extra budget for? Uh, well, there's, I mean, I, I touched on a couple of things that I think are macro trends. This isn't just true for, you know, for my industry, for my company, for, for my team. But I think some of these trends are, are true for all of us. You know, the explosion of data and the, the power of it, you know, to, to harness for insight and prediction. Um, and there's an increasing amount of tools uh, available for the citizen data scientist, I'd say. Um, and really enabling that so that insight and innovation in that front can come from any one of the functions, right? In a governed way. And, you know, in, we are a healthcare company and life sciences on the animal health side, but there's still, you have to be responsible with data as well. And I think this is a, the, 
I think we're starting to talk more about this than we used to, but you have to, you know, it's great that we have all this, this computational power and we have this data and there's machine learning and AI, you know, kind of uh, tooling, et cetera, but you have to be able to explain the algorithm as well, right? And make it responsible. And you can certainly see examples of that across industries that I think all of us have to be paying attention to on both sides. Uh, you know, that, that power and responsibility both go together. Security is always, I think, again, this is another macro trend for all of us. And I think this is, this is certainly true. As we go into 22, uh, the bad guys don't take time off uh, just because of whatever pandemic vaccine, whatever. All right. So that's something that all of us are, are certainly paying attention to. And we've seen incidents, et cetera, you know, that kind of blast across the world and, you know, companies that are prepared and those that aren't and those kind of things. And so uh, definitely something that um, is a focus. There are uh, just a continued momentum of um, digital supply chain kind of things for all of us. And I, I mean that term in, in both the very specific terms in terms of like managing logistics and supply chain, but also the kind of the, the metaphorical term of the supply chain of, of both data and uh, that outcome impact, you know, and how you connect all these pieces together. It's, a, it's an ever more interwoven uh, world. If I just pick on the Salesforce example, you can't, you know, Salesforce isn't as powerful without the ERP. It's not as powerful without that field service piece. It's not as powerful without the connected IoT device, you know, all of that bringing that together, that's that digital supply chain. And so this, this is where it just, how we have an increasing opportunity to continue to focus on, on transforming outcomes through that. And that is one of those things that only IT, it is a backstage kind of thing to manage all those connections and only IT really is, is gonna enable that for the company and be able to explain why we're investing our energy in that, right? There's a beautiful example of orchestration. So it's, it, yeah, it's, it's, it's not an either or, I think you have to be a, you know, it's not either a photographer, a lead, an orchestrator, absolutely. Ken, it's yeah. terrific. Orchestration with improv by Capable actors. Yeah. Yeah. And these, well, hey, Ray, I mean, you're, you're just to wrap that thought up, but Ray, you know, in your book, you talked a lot about this. Whole new business models are being created. Absolutely. Right. Through technology. Absolutely. Through, the, through this, this innovation disruption, you know, whole new business models. And, you know, to be in a seat where you can help support that is Amazing. incredible. Amazing. Amazing. Well, this is amazing. We are here with Ken Grady, Senior Vice President and Chief Information Officer at IDEX, PT150 winner. And of course, you can follow him on Twitter at Grady Ken. We hope to see you at CCE in October. So take care. I hope Thank so you, too. Ken. Thanks. Thank you. Uh, that was uh, Renaissance man. I mean, yeah, amazing. That was, that was amazing. And he leaned into insights and data. And I think that's critically important for companies and organizations to establish trust. And uh, it's we're great. It's a great privilege for us to have David Horsager is a global trust expert, leadership uh, speaker, podcast host, best-selling author, and founder and CEO of Trust Edge Leadership Institute. David is also trust expert in residence at High Point University and Wall Street Journal best-selling author of the Trust Edge. David has advised leaders and delivered life-changing presentations on six continents with audiences ranging from FedEx to Toyota to MIT to global governments, New York Yankees, I'm a Red Sox fan, and the Foreign Homeland Security. <laughs> David, we need you in Boston. Uh, there's a tight race going on, and we need to establish trust. Yeah, I didn't like the Yankees <laughs> either until they started paying me. So, yes, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're a great organization. You can learn more about David's work at David 
horseacre.com and trustedge.com. You can also follow David on Twitter at D-A-V-I-D-H-O-R-S-A-G-E-R. Welcome, David, to Disrupt TV. Hey, thanks. Yeah, a couple couple fun comments there relating with uh, with Ken. Now, even our business, it's all built on trust. Of course, I believe that's a, you know, security is a, totally a trust issue in companies, of course. But um, I get in my, you know, I love people. I don't actually love social media and love some of the tech. You know, I can look out. I've got a glass in here in my office, but I can see my team we're in. And um, and I can still remember when I can see him from here, kind of head of tech for us. Gabe came up to me and said, that the the day it was, I can remember when he he said to me, David, you you speak a hundred times around the world uh, a year. You you write books. You do all this stuff. But do you know you're now CEO of not a learning and development company, not a this company, not a, a tech company? And I still remember the day it happened uh, for us. And of course, we built a whole platform around how to drive results using trust. But anyway, so that's number one. Number two, uh, as far as as far as Ken, Ken. Um, you just bringing back the analogy of uh, of music because you were having fun with it for a second there. My daughter plays uh, violin. My brother-in-law, uh, uh, excuse me, my brother. I'm going to have to bring Ken in here real quick. Yeah, yeah uh, <laughs> my, my brother plays uh, banjo and he's good at it. You know, all, hey. you know all the jokes about it too. Like what's the, yeah. what's the banjos? They're the same every time or whatever it is. But anyway, <laughs> but I was going to say this. My daughter plays, you know, played violin, five years old, working on violin. We went to a concert and um, it, it, it a real country fun concert, and the, the lady was playing fiddle. And my 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 daughter went up and, and said to her, uh, "You know what's the difference between playing a violin and a fiddle?" And she said, well, "With a fiddle, you can smile." <laughs> That's so I, I, I just, I'll just briefly tell you my, I have a 19 year old daughter sophomore at, at university now but she started playing violin at four Suzuki violin and at some point she said if I have to play like another Bach thing I'm going to stab myself in the eye and she start, switched over to Scottish fiddle Yeah. Um, so it's absolutely yep. <laughs> Awesome. Only on Disrupt TV. We'll bring you back, Ken, if, as needed. <laughs> be ready. Be ready. Be ready. Um, but hey, no, this is a great point, right? I mean, you're talking about trust a lot. Trust is the foundation of almost every part of business, right? It's missing there. But but why like why have people suddenly rediscovered trust? I mean, it wasn't like we weren't there with it before, yeah. but but it seems to be so hot at this moment as a foundational core component to a business, to business model, to even technology. Well, I, I think number one, thanks, Ray. I think we have to think differently about trust. First of all. People say to me, oh, that's so relevant. It's so timely. It, it's it's timeless. It was never not the most important thing. And I, say, I I would say it with a whole lot of conviction. I think we put the biggest study on trust and leadership uh, out of North America, out every year out of the Institute, significant global study that we put out. I was researching this back to my grad work before anyone was almost anyone was talking about trust and leadership at least you know even big names that you know now they were not talking now people are writing on trust with and without research but but back then no one was talking about it. i think the, the the big deal is people started to see the tie to the bottom line and that was my grad work right how does a lack of trust actually affects the bottom line more than anything else and i believe i can prove it and there's a way to build it that goes beyond what people think and that's the we call it the eight pillars of trust or the fr the framework and because people think they know, oh trust is just transparency well is it uh some of your kids are so transparent on facebook i don't trust them for a second or social media uh 
in fact, confidentiality is also trusted. And we think in the IT uh, moments of conversation we had, it's not, it's more complex than we think. And yet it is always the root issue. That's why I wrote the brand, the brand new book just came out last month or a couple months ago is Trusted Leader. It is always the root issue. Always, always, always without ego. We have certified uh, TrustEdge uh, advisors on six continents, trusted, certified coaches. We work across industries. It doesn't mean we don't contextualize or need to, but it, it so let, I'll get simple here. And that is somebody thinks they have a leadership issue. They never do. The reason I follow a leader or not is trust. Somebody thinks they have a sales issue. They never do at the core. It's always, uh, the only reason I buy something has something to do with trust, even if I don't like the words. By the way, the number one question everybody's asking is not, do I like you? I got friends that like a lot of wouldn't go into business with them in a million years. It's, can I trust you, right? And it's the same with everything. Marketing, how do I amplify a marketing message? There is absolutely only one way to amplify a marketing message. You have to increase trust in the message. And we can go through the eight in the framework, but it's one of those or a multitude. How do I, how do I increase innovation on a team? Thank you for the highlight of the of trusted leader there. Um, the only way, not the trusted leader, that's a different book, but trusted leader. There you go. Um, but it's 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 how do I increase innovation? It, people don't innovate usually because they fear uh, sharing. So when I increase trust on the team, they start sharing ideas. Or how do I increase trust in a learning environment? My kids' learning environment. Let's say I have to increase trust either in the teacher, the content, or the trust or psychological safety of the room. Or maybe one more example. How do we deal with the big diversity issues of our day? The biggest Harvard study shows diversity on its own in almost every way puts people against each other. Yes. Unless yes. we increase trust. trust. And then, yep. of course, there are research, significant examples and research to prove the value of 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 uh of diversity equity inclusion sure. belonging but we have to deal with the trust issue so when people see it as that it's always i mean uh maybe we'll get there later but i will argue you never have a communication issue it's never at the core of communication communication is happening all the time it's the type clear communication is trusted unclear isn't compassion is trusted hateful isn't so when we get down to the pillars we can actually solve the real problem the reason i wrote the last book is people kept solving the wrong problem and once they saw root as the uh, trust is the real issue then the security issue the leadership issue the communication issue so that's that's and that's sure it, our technology is all all about measuring closing gaps and uh, of trust so that we create cultures where people can perform at their best sure. i won't sure. talk that long at any other question but there's a brief <laughs> no, it's, no no david it's it's a it's a complex it's a complex word you know, I, 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 I imagine if we had random, had 10 business leaders, successful business leaders in a room, and the exercise was define trust, we'd get 10 different answers. There may be a Venn diagram where there would be an overlap of answers, but it is complex. And your eight pillars starts with clarity. And you talk about commitment, compassion, connection, character, contribution, com competency, and consistency. Now, thankfully, all eight start with a C. So only perhaps... for cla only for clarity, <laughs> Vala, not because it's some cheesy motivation. No, book. no. In it's, fact, all yeah, the elements yeah. they're they're because... they're research funnels, but they that's that's an, a a real good uh, defining word for each of the. Absolutely, they're very powerful words. And as I as I read through your work and looked at each word, it absolutely resonated with me in terms of the filter I use to determine whether I trust a brand, a person you know, an organization. So uh, which one of these eight pillars do leaders struggle the most with? 
Well, you know, this is why we measure it, because we want to close the gap that would make that, you know, we all have gaps. Even I preach this stuff for sure. two decades and there's I, I'm still working at all of them. I'm not perfect sure. at any of it. We're all work in progress. <laughs> but if I was going to start somewhere, frankly, um, if you start with that clarity pillar, first mm -hmm. of all, most people think they're clear when they're not. I mean, marketing experts, strategy experts, branding experts, they think they're clear when they're not. And we don't have time to get into it today, but one of the clarity models there is the model is the process I used to lose 52 pounds in five and a half months a decade ago and I've kept Whoa. it off. Whoa. Um, it's it's a it's a model. Please people, share, please share. Right? It's a model people have used to triple sales in 90 days. So each of these pillars has models under them to yeah. apply or build the pillar. Sure. And so um I, I can share it, but it's it, it might take some of our time. Uh, but I could I mean I could tease you with anything. It was monumental for me. Um I mean are you, are you is that where you want to go, Ray? Today? I'm I'm in. Count okay. me in. I'm in. I could use it. I totally yeah. could use it. So Ray is selfishly go, asking. Yeah. I mean, you can, but we've had so many people say they use this idea to triple sales in 90 days. So I, I think it's it's worth something. Um, there's a whole lot of bad ideas, so I don't want to skirt those or or the framework, but uh, but we've got some important stuff coming up, uh, so we'll lead into that. So basically, one of our ways of getting to clarity is 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 this three question model. Um, so when I talk about the most important questions that actually drive strategic clarity, the most underused, uh, under asked questions that actually take an idea to an action, they actually give hope. I would argue they're these three. And in this simple time, it's really hard to actually get it in the way I mean it. But we'll try. Many of you jump to thinking, oh, the why. I bet the why is one of them. The why isn't one of them. That doesn't mean the why isn't important, or I don't agree with Simon Sinek or others before him uh, that have talked about if you don't have, a, for instance, a why, strong enough why, you won't last five days on a project. No doubt. But it's not one of the questions that takes an idea to an action. Have your why, right? Yeah. Also, you might, oh, what about Collins? The who, get the right who's on the bus. That's great. It's great. Get the right who's. No doubt about it. But people put down the questions I'm going to share, and yet they are so much more powerful than you think if used correctly. I, the problem I kept seeing is you got buses full of all these fun who's singing kumbaya about their why going right off the cliff. And they're not taking an idea. Anymore. So, so here we go. Here's the three Trouble. questions. Ready? Number one question. How? How am I going to do it? Okay. Second question, way more important. This one's for Ray. When, how? <laughs> and the most important question of all is how? <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen listening, if you can actually get this process down, you can actually get to a whole nother level of clarity. And even with me saying it for a few seconds, we don't get it. So how, 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 until I can do something today or tomorrow. Biggest, second biggest healthcare organization in North America 10 years ago. I'm at a private location. We've done all this trust work. Finally, I said to the CEO in front of everybody, uh, happened to be a gentleman. I said, what, what do you really want to change here? He said, we're losing age cap funding. We're losing patients. We need a better culture, David. We're dying. I said, great. How are you going to start to do that? He talked to his senior team, stood up and said, we like your first pillar to start with. We're going to start with clarity. I said, great. How are you going to start to be clear? Uh, we're going to, um, uh, we're going to communicate more. Do I trust him? Not for a second, because it, 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 the second, then I said, okay, how are you going to communicate more? Uh, we're going to hold each other accountable. I mean, 
What do people, people say accountability, you know, how do you hold people accountable here? Yeah, accountability stuff. They have no idea, right? We have a six step. <laughs> Anybody wants it, by the way, from listening to Disrupt today, we give away stuff free like crazy, stuff that people would even pay for. You want any of this, just email, text. My team's used to saying, oh, Dave said he'd give that away. Uh, he probably said he'd give them a case of books. I don't know, whatever. But anyway, so it's, it's the, you have to ask how, bottom line, until you can apply it today or tomorrow. So on the weight loss thing, how many, I'm going to eat less or I'm going to take in less calories. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this until I decided one, how for me, it's got to be something you can act on today or tomorrow. And you always can biggest companies in the world have been through this process with us. Sure. Some of the biggest yep. Walmart, Procter and Gamble, yep. global yep. governments. They, they think, Oh, I got 22 goals and 52 rocks. You can get there. You can't do everything. You can do something and it builds momentum. So how, so for me, one of my final hows that I can act on today or tomorrow was I'm not going to drink a calorie for 90 days. Wow. I can look at it. No calories in that. I can drink it. Now, once again, I'm not saying other people should do that. If you sure. don't do stuff, you will do. If someone said, I can never have ice cream again, I'm not going to do it, you know? But um, but for me, um, that wasn't, and I have no legalism about alcohol. I just actually never liked the smell of it. A glass of wine every other week is fine. So um, it, you have to pick things you do. But the point is, it's how until I can do it. And, and last, kind of tie a bow on a, a little more mature concept than it sounds like, and that is, I, I final how always has a who, when, and where. So yes. for, it's me, specific, specific. right? But it's that specific and you can do smart goals all day long and you don't get there. So yeah. it's, it's, it's like, uh, you know, if I'm going to work out tomorrow and I don't know it's five 30 in the morning, I won't do it. If, <laughs> if I don't know where I'm either going to go to the gym or run outside the door. If I have a choice at five 30 choices, kill things. <laughs> Cho right. So, and it's the same with the who, when we do how plans in teams, which we do, companies that follow our culture work it is uh, uh, uh we've been lied to co-leadership co-leadership is terrible you talk about trust co-leadership is terrible collaborative leadership is excellent hmm. what does the data say if you have more than one person on a final task 50 percent less chance of it ever getting done you have to get to a doesn't mean we don't collaborate we have to it's one of the pillars of trust connection and collaboration right sure. it's the, the same pillar sure. but you have to get to that level of clarity. So, I mean, this is one idea of about 70, but it, it, under strong. clarity, how, 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 until you will do it, do something today or tomorrow. Yeah, very strong. I, I, with our first guest, I referenced a Peter Drucker quote. I think what, when, I, when I recap your advice, I think it was Drucker who said, you know, strategy is commodity, execution is art. Uh, I think eventually when you ask the how, you get to operate like a surgeon where it's very clear what you're going to do with whom, where, how. And uh, so I think that's really sage advice. Really, And if you can build that muscle where you can deliver micro moments of excellence consistently, you're in trust, I, I would think. Uh, I, uh, and that's I, the contribution. I, I, I hate to summarize it in front yeah. of a global <laughs> trust expert. <laughs> well, not, yeah, I, I mean, it, it, there's a lot more to that. But, but what you said is, so when people see the pillars at first, especially the seventh pillar, which is contribution, hmm. think of the word results. We trust people to get results. You can't Ooh. just you can't just have compassion and character. You need all eight to have what we call the trust edge. But yeah. but but you you've got to deliver. I can't go in for surgery and they they pulled out the wrong you know piece yeah. of my body, even if they're compassionate, right? Same with but 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 also many think oh it's just character and integrity that's trust. Well, I I trust Ray because I know his character to take my kids to the ball game, but not to give me a root canal, right? So I I gotta I do have to look at all. That's eight. commitment, man. That's right. That's commitment. I, I have to look at all eight. 
and yeah. uh, but you got to start. So, 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 so it's clarity, compassion, character, competency, commitment, connection, contribution. I think I'm missing the last one. Consistency yeah. is the queen and king. Whatever yeah. you do consistently, I'll trust. That's the if one. you're. This is what Salesforce helps with, by the way, in 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 a organization in a massive way. But but just think about this. For good or bad, a brand is only built on consistency. A reputation is only built on consistency, good or bad. If you're late all the time, Bala, I will in fact trust you to be late, right? <laughs> this is why. What, He's consistently what, trusted for whatever, 100% exactly, late. Whether you, like <laughs> whether you like McDonald's or not, and yeah. you know, speaking to a client, I, I, I appreciate them for, for many reasons. The best fries of all fast food. Exactly. But even more, I've had this, I, people, whether people like them or not, I've had the same burger on six continents. <laughs> Consistency. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, David, it's 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 wonderful to speak to you because you open our eyes to the complexity and the beauty and the depth of what it takes to earn trust. It's 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 hard work. And it's hard work across multiple dimensions. And that's why so few do it well. Um, and as a company that has trust as our number one core value. Uh, you know, I, and, I, and I hope you've worked with Salesforce before, but I'd love to, you know, ensure that you connect with with my company because, uh, you know, like you said, we're all work in progress. Um, okay, I'm trusting you, Vala, to make it happen more. Right yeah. there. You make <laughs> yeah. that happen. Connect, connect Absolutely. More. Yeah. Hey, I, we didn't get into much research, so I'm just going to throw out one piece in our few seconds. I don't want to, you know, impact anybody else's time, but just one. In the last several years in our global study, uh, which is significant, anybody wants to look at it and think, oh, are they just doing surveys via whatever? You know, it's, it is the number one reason people want to work for an organization in first world countries. Sure. The last several years, ahead of being paid more, ahead of a more fun work environment with a ping pong table. Number one reason, trusting leadership. Oh, that's Amazing. true. Amazing. That's true. I've heard this. Yeah. So better than any other barometer you'd ever find somewhere in Davos. But anyways, yes, you're here with David Horsager, <laughs> owner and CEO of Trust Edge Leadership Institute. <laughs> there we go. Bala, I'm you follow me on Twitter at David Horsager. Yeah. Yes, please do. Please do. Hey, over thanks so much for being here. Hey, I love you guys. Thanks. Thank Happy you Friday. Thank you. <laughs> this is coming from Ray, who has been to the last 10 Davoses that I know. But uh, <laughs> uh, it's uh, okay. This is our cleanup hitter spot. As you all know, this is where we bring a brilliant big mind to hit a grand slam. And uh, we have our first ballot Disrupt TV Hall of Famer who's joining us today. Heather Clancy is <laughs> vice president and editorial director at GreenBiz. Uh, she's an award-winning business journalist specializing in chronicling the role of technology in enabling corporate climate action and transition to a clean, inclusive, and regenerative economy. GreenBiz Group is a media and events company that accelerates the just transition to clean economy. Heather started her uh, journalism career uh, uh, on the business desk of United Press International, and her articles have appeared in Entrepreneur, Fortune, uh, Herald Tribune, New York Times, and many, many more. Uh, in fact, she co-authored an Amazon bestseller for entrepreneurs, Niche Down, How to Become Legendary, Legendary by Being Different. You can follow Heather on Twitter at GreenTechLady, G-R-E-E-N-T-E-C-H-L-A-D-Y. Welcome back, Heather, to the Shrub TV. 
I'm so glad to be here with you. It's been a while. It's great. It has been. A, that, yeah. It's our fault. I don't know. You're one of our favorite guests. So we gotta be better. <laughs> I, we gotta I love be better. being your guest. Thank you <laughs> Thank for you. having me. Yeah, I know. Super excited to have you here. And uh, it's kind of one of those things. I, mean, I was looking through your tweets and it was interesting. It's something said one third of Americans have experienced an extreme weather event. Um, and, you know, I mean, what's going on with climate change, extreme weather? I went out and actually said, OK, let's go read the UN climate change report since I got nothing better to do. Very um, impressive. I, I saw, <laughs> well, I'm also writing a paper on ESG, so that's another story. Uh, but <laughs> so here I am reading this thing. But but I looked at the data and it's, it's interesting. Global weather data shows hurricane activity and frequency. They haven't increased um, over the long period. I mean, 1880, it looked like there's a ton, right? But I mean, if you look across hundreds of years, it's different. I'll take another data point from this climate study. Like we've also had droughts but in the 800s and 1400s, if everyone was around, no, there are 180 and 240 year mega droughts that happened um, and definitely not caused by carbon, right? And in 1920, like the global climate related disasters killed almost half a million people every year. Like we barely get that today and the world's population is quadrupled. So thank God. I mean, are we, <laughs> thank God, thank God. God. Right? But, are, but are, are we getting, is this like climate hype or what's the real story here? So. Are you a denier? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm just writing an ESG paper. So okay, I gotta... so I'll throw a couple figures at you. $185 billion. That was the Yeah, but we're of... idiots for living on the coast. That's that a different was the, story. That was the, the <laughs> amount of damage caused by uh, weather and climate-related events in the 1980s. $845 billion. That was the last decade. 55 million people. That was the number of people displaced in their countries because of climate-related disasters in their communities. Um, their economic livelihood went away. They couldn't grow things on their land any longer. The factories or supply, you know, that they were running for multinational companies were disrupted in some way. So I think I, 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 uh, I know that there's a lot of data out there showing that, you know, there's, you can, of course, spin the numbers in whatever way you want, right? But the, the fact of the matter is that right now, and, and here I am in New Jersey, there were, you know, dozens of people killed here from an event last week for which there was almost no warning. It was very little warning. And it's not that, it's not that you know, like, okay, it, it it was, it was the, the infrastructure, the infrastructure isn't there. The economic cost of not doing anything is so unbelievable. I mean, I think it's saying something like $1.26 trillion could be lost by businesses in the next wow. five years because of supply chain disruptions, uh, water insecurity. You saw uh, Facebook and Google both in the last couple of weeks have made very interesting water commitments. Like you don't really hear so much about water, but now they're all, they're talking about replenishing water because, you know, Facebook is building an, a data center in Arizona. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, and as we know, data centers use a pretty fair amount of water, at least traditionally speaking. So I don't know. Yeah. Uh, that That's the data. What the data tells me is that um, whether you think it's caused by, carbon or not the the events are that were are there around us we're not prepared to deal with them
Yeah, more so free we should start shorting. We should start shorting PNC insurance stocks. <laughs> yeah. No, but, yeah. but, but no, oh, right? Yeah, the insurance companies obviously, yeah. um, but also they don't. You know, like how do you how do you insure electric vehicles? How do you or electric planes? I know that you wanted to talk about that briefly. I I don't really have much. I'm really been following that so much, but the economic impact of of things and where and where do you want to put a, a, a factory in the future. Yeah. Are you going to put it in a place like New Jersey? It's going to flood. <laughs> no, probably not. Uh, yeah. Do you want to put a data center in a drought ridden area? Probably not, you know, but you, you know, you might do other things to get around it. So it's, it's hard to watch a CNN ticker last week or the week before where you read over 50 dead in the Northeast due to flood flooding. Crazy. It, it, Crazy. It, it, this is 2021 in arguably the most modern infrastructure part of our country. And you lost 50 to, to, to flooding conditions. It's So it seems like the frequency is higher and the impact is greater than past. Now, having said that, uh, you had just recently wrote about, and perhaps this is a catalyst for this, investment in clean tech company. The article was titled, How BCG Helps Corporations Invest in Climate Tech. And you wrote, there's been a lot of talk about mainstream money tipping into climate tech. And you cited research from Climate Tech VC newsletter suggesting that there were 250 deals this year, as of June yeah. 30th, representing over $16 billion wow. in funding. Yeah. Wow. And one of the big observations in this long form article, which is beautiful, uh, by the way, uh, congratulations. You said you observed one big thing that makes the current spending spree different was participation of traditional investors who've become interested in the economic opportunity linked to addressing climate change. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about these spending trends? Uh, and, 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 uh, and did this lead to you actually changing your weekly newsletter to be now called Climate Tech Weekly Newsletter? <laughs> I've been wanting to do that for probably two years, actually. Okay. <laughs> I, but, but it makes I, sense. Uh, it makes total, you know, it's, it's a totally very does. important wide topic, wide and deep. So, well, thank you for mentioning that. Um, I, what I'm really intrigued by and what's going on with Boston Consulting Group right now is that it, if you think about it, like scope, there's a thing out there called scope four. <laughs> So when you, when, when you look at the emissions reduction strategies of companies, it's, they're in scope one, two, and three. And those are in various chunks, you know, op, direct operations, mm -hmm. your supply chain. And, and um, many organizations have, have been really good about addressing the first two, which are very much linked to themselves. Um, not so great about the third, because that's basically you're telling other companies what to do. So you see Walmart has a, this gigaton initiative where they're trying to work with suppliers uh, to help them pull down their emissions. But the, the opportunity for the exciting thing for me is what could happen in this, you know, scope four. And I'm using that term. It's not really well defined yet, but what it really comes down to is as you, as a company, look at wh what you make and what you, what you sell to other people, how could you possibly make things that would benefit the transition? You're making solar panels, you're making, um, you know, high efficiency air conditioning equipment because we know we're going to need it. It doesn't use the, the the nasty stuff, you know, that are messing up the air ozone. Maybe it runs on solar. You know, what is the opportunity in, in technology or anything to help make a difference on the transition to, to and PS 
benefit from the transition, right? As your company uh, is able to sell more right now, they probably cost more. But anyway, so that that's the, for me, the, the most exciting thing. Um, so climate tech for me is that, but also the all of the, the wonderful widgets. Uh, I was talking to, <laughs> this is a cool company. Um, the, 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 the product is called Waste Shark. And it's a, a company. Out, have you heard of them, Ray? I don't know if you've had no. Ran Ran Marine out of um, Rotterdam, and it, it's a it's a drone. It's a a water. You know, I don't know what the uh, aquatic drone, right? Aquatic drone. It goes around <laughs> and it cleans up plastic in ports. Wow. Um, or and it also can and clean up other things. Like so, it can take it can test the water quality. It can. Oh, uh, potentially awesome. filter it's got out an eight hour battery life for the aqua drone. It's pretty wild. So it's pretty cool. And so it goes out there and it does this. And so now, and there's, there, there's cities around the world that are starting to invest in this thing. Um, and, but also PS, by the way, Disney has also invested in this thing to help clean up plastic. And it's the water that it, that are in its theme parks um, or at wow. its headquarters. So anyway, so this is, that's a cool, uh, that's a, that's a startup that's completely focused on a climate tech solution, right? You know, like, and they, this guy, the, the founder, I was talking to him earlier this week, he was just watching, you know, something and it made him think, how would I clean that up? You're like, how, how would, you know, how would, it, how could I do this more efficiently? And he, that this is where the idea came from. He was sitting in a cafe that's and awesome. he just, you know, not, jotted it down, but there's just an, 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 overwhelming uh opportunity uh in industry like there's a ton of you know do you make synthetic diamonds or do you mine them do you mine metals out of other materials or do you go extract them from the earth so there's just amazing and fascinating so much opportunity it's yeah. terrific to see that there's growing interest and in actual funding of these cool companies yeah. these cool founders that are making a difference that's great yeah. Yeah. And we're also saying like, when you look at scope for uh, emissions avoidance, right? I mean, low carbon projects are big, carbon capture is big, renewable energy is big, energy storage. I yeah. mean, there's that. I think people are trying to figure out how to work out the you know, principles for calculation of this. I think there was some fund that was actually, I can't remember what it was, like really trying to get together, uh, figure out how the calculation of GHG avoidance, which was interesting um, in, in general. Didn't Elon Musk and Peter Diomedes together uh a competition. Uh, uh, Elon Musk is funding one of the um, the Carbon X prizes. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, that you just had a company out of uh, oh shoot now I can't remember where they're built based. The, their plant is in Iceland. Um, the Climeworks yeah. folks they they okay. they've um, just boosted the capacity of the direct air capture opportunity out there, and they also just did a big deal with Swiss Re. So essentially, you, uh, I don't know if we've had. Um, talked much in the past about, about the corporate renewable energy procurement, right? You know, so you have big companies like Walmart and, and you know, pick pick your big, big, big name. They go out and basically write a contract to help procure the the off the output of a wind farm or, or a solar farm. And, and they, they, they do this over a period of 15 to 20 years. And it's a, it's a power purchase agreement. So essentially what Swiss Re has done is is it's like a carbon purchase, carbon removal purchase agreement that they've signed with this this organization over the next ten years. They're they're helping fund this this facility and get it off the ground because it's so expensive right now. I mean the the the, cap, the carbon capture technology is, it's, I think it's like 
the, the figures that are quoted, $200 per, you know, metric wow. ton or whatever. I mean, it's just real, it's just way too ex wow. expensive um, for companies to invest in, but you have some pioneers and that was a very intriguing um, relationship. There's nothing like it that I've seen so far. Shopify actually, believe it or not, and Stripe mm. have been, have done a lot of work in helping fund some of these newer carbon removal ventures um, with, with interesting contracts. Speaking of investments, uh, another powerful article you wrote uh, titled, This Fund is Seeking Diverse Climate Tech Founders. And uh, you, you cited an earlier article where you wrote, uh, and you said, here's an appalling stat. As of mid-July, Black female founders had raised just 0.34% of all venture capital to that point. Uh, that's less than 1%, according to a Crunchbase research. Now, this year, you cited research from Project Diane, which looks at diverse female founders, and you said the trend is a little bit better. So far, there's been more than a million dollars raised, uh, and that's double and triple respective to 2018 data. Uh, and you talked about Elevate Fund, Elevate Futures, which had criteria in terms of promoting diverse group of female founders. Can you talk about you know, the progress we're making and how can companies, organizations like GreenBiz and others help accelerate this, this support that we need to include a more diverse group of founders? Well, there's a couple of different ways. Um, first of all, I, I love this intersection because if you think about climate change, the people that it impacts most, yeah. most you know, are women in cities that, that, that are trying to take care of their children or that need to now walk whatever miles to go get water. Um, and people, that, communities where, that haven't have been able to fight, you know, to, have, to keep them on that highway being put through their, their neighborhood or that power plant that's right next door that was a coal fire sure. one in the future or the, the, you know, the, the dump site, the brown site that was that was a uh, an industrial factory. You know they don't really have much say. So systemically, they've been the most affected by it. Now a lot of you know. So the idea is that some of these startups that are coming out are founded by people of color. And there's some really great examples in the in the energy space. So Block Power is a great example. Um, uh, I'm I'm spacing out on the founder's name right now, but he's a is a black man and he is he's building affordable housing that runs off of solar. That's awesome. So, I mean, and he's got a lot of, uh, he's had great funding um, and he's just serving, he's serving that community. So the, the idea is like, who best knows the needs of that community? These individuals, people who come from that community. So the climate tech opportunity is for there to be an intersection of improving this funding story and also, you know, addressing the, the challenges of those communities. The challenge is that many of the funds or the banks or the financial ser services firms that fund don't have those individuals making the decisions about the funding, wow. right? So, Heather, uh, if Disrupt TV, with your help, meaning you can help us co-host an episode, yes, please identify three trailblazer, minority owner, uh, you know, uh, inventors and entrepreneurs and CEOs. And you, Ray, and I can, you know, moderate a panel with these exceptional founders, yeah. and we would love to dedicate a show to this topic. You give me a, a top. You give me a tech tech area, and I could get several shows. I mean, there's some really <laughs> great work. I mean, there's seriously yeah. some amazing people. It's just that we don't celebrate them enough. We and and they they haven't the connections, right? Yeah. We need to help them make the connections. 
we would love that's to do that. That's why I love that fund, the Energy Impact Partners Fund. It's it's just a great idea. Frankly, I I want millions and millions. It shouldn't shouldn't have to have a separate fund, in my opinion. It should well, be just part. Ray, Ray and his team are hosting uh, like a Shark Tank event, it, not specific to sustainability and climate and yeah. clean tech, but it just you know Ray and I tr are trying to find as many ways where we can you know spot a big bright shiny positive light on people that are doing good for society and good for climate and, we'll and all of us. So we would love to, 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 to help in any way we can. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And and we're also like focused on getting uh, enterprise tech startups out there. I got to know those people too. connected. Yeah. So there's there's stuff there that we can uh, work on. Um, next week, we're actually doing the pitch, which is basically bringing like 24 enterprise tech startups in front of global 2000 buyers. Right. There's a way to do that around for ESGs and things yes. like that as well. So I got to get my ESG paper out. It's almost out there next week. So <laughs> I want to read it. <laughs> yes, please. And redline as much as you can, Heather. <laughs> <laughs> so, but, but, but yeah, but, but this takes us to the point, right? I mean, circular economy is hot. We're definitely seeing that. Um, the great bag debate is back, right? People are saying, hey, you know, hey, what do we do with all this packaging, right? That we all suddenly went back before packaging was evil. Now packaging is health and safety. And I feel good that things are covered, right? But you, you've noted like, you know, some stores are doing something differently. So share a little bit, uh, some of the insights from that. So there's a there's a, pro a project. I think we're going over time, but there's a project in the Northern California right now. Um, uh, Walmart, Target, uh, CVS are involved in helping the Beyond the Bag program, and they're testing basically uh, with startups that are working on ways to borrow uh, a bag or to rent a ba reusable bag out of a store. So you can, you know, if you don't have one with you, you take it, um, you, you use it, you bring it back to the uh, to, you know the next time you come in, you bring it back to any one of those stores. You don't have to bring the wall, you know, the one you got in Walmart back to Walmart. So it's just a, a way wow, of- Wow, you could share it. across competitors is yes, what you're saying. You yes, you can. Yes, you can. That's terrific. Yep. And, and I think I'm gonna say, the only thing I'll say about this is watch this space. There's a, gonna be a pretty big announcement in a couple of weeks during climate week um, about a more reusable packaging, like, but in this, in this event, in this context um, of food, for food and other, um, consumer items. We're getting breaking news wow. from Heather Clancy. Breaking news. Awesome. Breaking news. Breaking news. Breaking news. Awesome. This is awesome. Well, here with Heather Clancy, Vice President, Editorial Director, Friend of Disrupt TV at Greenbiz, <laughs> and more importantly, you can follow her on Twitter at Green Tech Lady and her newly renamed blog. So, hey, thanks a lot for uh, being on the show as always, and happy Friday. Thank you, Heather. Love you guys. Take care. As, as usual, crushing it, and pff, my mind is. So many great, so many great insights. Uh, Ray, that was episode 249. <laughs> so next week we have the big 250. Look at that. Yeah, we have 761 interviews so far. So by the end of this calendar year, we're going to get close to 800 interviews. We have Desmond Wheatley, CEO of Beam Global. We have Faryal Kanababi, CEO of Daylight. And we have Michael Mose, Senior Vice President of Innovation and Strategy Who's that? at Salesforce. Who's Michael Mose? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is it Mose or yeah. Mouse? I can't remember. <laughs> Two CEOs and one that could easily be a CEO if you wanted to. So it's going to be a great show. Ray, trust, changing agenda of the CIO and green and clean technology, which is on every company's agenda. Your uh, final closing remarks on episode 249. 
Well, if you couldn't figure out what our brilliant producer was trying to do, these are themes in the boardroom for 2022. Um, so catch them now. And of course, take this with you into the boardroom um, in terms of the advice. Reach out to our guests. Um, I think they can be helpful for you in terms of providing advice or if you need advisory services, uh, because you're getting some really good insights here across the board. So, um, but yeah, that's uh, it's pretty exciting. And uh, we're definitely seeing a lot of interesting changes and uh, coming along the way. What about you, Vala? What's going on on your end? So. You know, it's just a reminder that you and I have a privilege of interviewing about 150 guests during a calendar year. Um, and But there's so many people that we don't get the privilege of connecting with and uh, highlighting. Yes. So follow us on Disrupt TV Show, share the news so that we can get recommendations on who you want on the show. Uh, you know, unfortunately, and through the success of the show, we're usually two, three months booked uh, ahead. But, uh, you know, if you find an extraordinary leader and, and we may have to do a different show on a different day, we just, Ray and I have an unquenchable thirst to highlighting trailblazers. And there's so many that we don't have a chance um, just because of, we both have day jobs. <laughs> so believe it or not, 150 <laughs> interviews is a lot in a year. But I just feel, you know, I, I guess in a way I feel guilty that we don't get to speak to some of the folks that are doing, like building affordable homes using solar in urban areas. You know, to me, that's amazing. And I want to learn more about it. So please let us know and we'll do our best to get as many great I guests. I was just going to go check out the boxable guys out here in Las Vegas, actually. <laughs> yeah, believe it or not, the second richest go. man on earth, Elon Musk, lives in one of those 50,000 boxable homes. Uh, so <laughs> so it's, it's extraordinary. Uh, anyway, uh, thank you. If it's Friday, it's Disrupt TV. We'll see you next week on episode 250. Thanks, everyone. All right, take care. Bye, everyone.